before we jump into Jonah 2, I want to pass on some wisdom that I've gleaned from John Newton in a letter on how to listen to sermons well. And he gives us three instructions that I think will help you and will help me this evening. First of all, have the Word of God open in front of you, whether in a physical Bible or on your phone, so that you can be seeing what I'm saying is in line with what God is seeking to teach us and reveal to us in his word. Secondly, be praying. Be praying for yourself. Pray that you would have the spirit of discernment to see God's truth through me, and pray for a receptive heart, that the truth that you're hearing from God's word would not just stay in your head, but would go into your heart. And thirdly, be praying for me. Pray that the spirit would work in me to faithfully proclaim the truths of the Word of God to you. So three truths. Have your Bibles open so you can see what God is revealing to us. Be praying for discernment and a receptive heart to God's Word. And thirdly, be praying for me as I seek to be faithful to God's Word. Before jumping straight into the prayer, I want us to get our bearings in the book of Jonah. I want us to kind of understand why the book of Jonah is in the Bible for us. I want us to see the big idea of the book of Jonah, what God is seeking to reveal to us in it. And there's a guy, Douglas Sturt, who helpfully says, the central message of the book of Jonah is that Yahweh is a merciful God, a God of love, who desires to forgive rather than punish. So he is saying the central message of the book of Jonah is that Yahweh is a merciful God, a God of love, who desires to forgive rather than punish. And I think he's spot on because Jonah says basically the exact same thing in chapter 4, um, verse 2b, to the latter half of verse 2, when he says, when he's speaking to the Lord, he says, I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And we see this working out throughout the book of Jonah. We think about chapter 1 and chapter 2, where the Lord is patient with Jonah. He is slow to anger. He is merciful and gracious, while, while Jonah is wayward and rebellious. And then we see it again with the people of Nineveh. We see the Lord is gracious and merciful as they repent, and he is relenting from disaster. And then we see again in chapter 4 with Jonah, we see that the Lord's love is steadfast and abounding upon him, even though he is slow to learn the truths of the Lord. So I believe the book of Jonah is here in our Bibles to reveal to us the character of God. And the God that we see is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, rather desiring to forgive than punish. What a God we come this evening to worship. So, focusing more but on Jonah in chapter 2, where do we find Jonah in chapter 2? We find Jonah in chapter 2 in despair because he has sought to flee from the Lord, and that has failed, and he has rather ended up in the belly of a fish fish at the Lord's appointment, afflicted and feeling hopeless. So we find Jonah in a place of affliction and hopelessness. 
And out of Jonah's and within and out of this belly of the fish, we see Jonah's prayer given to us in the form of a psalm. And in this psalm, we see Jonah reminding himself about the truths of God's character and them giving him hope in the midst of his despair and affliction. And I believe that this prayer and these truths will likewise give us hope in the midst of our affliction and despair. But maybe this evening you're sitting here thinking that you're not in affliction or despair, so this has no meaning towards you. Well, think about the ocean. The ocean can be calm, but at the turn of the wind, it can become stormy. It can change like that. And just like our lives, we can go from a point of prosperity and all being well to misery and hardship and despair. I think it was helpful when Clifford said in the midweek, if we immerse ourselves in the word of God and his truths, the battle is half won when the truths, when the hard times and affliction come upon us. So it's good to be immersing ourselves in the word of God. Okay, so now looking at the prayer of Jonah. And the question we want to be asking is, why is this prayer in our Bibles? Why has the prayer of Jonah been preserved? Think about Paul in Corinthians. He said these things were written down for our instruction. So what is the Lord seeking to instruct us in the prayer of Jonah? What is he seeking to reveal to us about himself? And I want to put forward this evening that I believe that this prayer of Jonah is here to give us hope in the midst of our despair and afflictions by reminding us of the Lord, of, by reminding us who the Lord is. So what I'm putting forth is that Jonah's prayer is here to give us hope in the midst of our affliction and despair by reminding us of who the Lord is. So the big idea is our hope is grounded in knowing the Lord. Our hope flows out of who the Lord is. Our, our foundation for our hope is the character of God and who he reveals us, himself to us. So first truth that we see comes in verse two. Read along with me. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. The first truth we see about the Lord is he is the God who hears our cries. He is the God who hears our cries no matter how far we feel we are from him. He hears our cries. And we see that working out in verse 2. We have this couplet meaning that the first half of the verse says the same thing as the second half of the verse. And the second half of the verse gives us more information uh, about why Jonah is distressed. So we see that Jonah is in distress. He calls out to the Lord and he receives an answer. And then in the second half of the verse, we see why Jonah is distressed. The reason that he is distressed is because he feels like he is heading for Sheol. Sheol is the land of the dead. He thinks he is going for rock bottom, no return, like no hope, no grace. That's where he feels like he is going. But yet we see that he still even receives answer in that place. The psalmist in Psalm 139 helpfully um, helps us to understand this truth when he says about the Lord, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shul, you're there. This psalmist helps us to see the truth that there is no valley so low or mountain so high that you could go there and the Lord not find you, the context of the psalmist, or hear you, the context of Jonah. So in our despair and affliction, though we feel far from the Lord, he hears us. So, okay, how does this truth that that God hears us give us hope in the midst of our despair and affliction? I believe that this truth gives us hope because it tells us the Lord always hears the cry of his children. The Lord always hears the cry of his children. Think about the imagery of when you were little. I don't know about you, but when I used to wake up scared, my mom and dad's parents were like a couple of bits up, and I used to scream out, and they were always attentive to my cry. They always came in to comfort me. And that is the imagery I want you to think about from this truth, that the Lord is always attentive to the cries of his children, even when you feel like he doesn't hear you. And then I want to give an extra layer to this hope, and I want to speak to a specific people. I want to speak to people who are like Jonah, who are wayward because they have deliberately turned from the Lord. They are in self-afflicted affliction. They have heard the call of the Lord, and they have willfully turned from him, and they have ended up in the pit because of their sinfulness. And I want you to hear and have hope that the Lord hears the cries even of the wayward. Because the wayward so often seek to cut themselves from the promises of God. When we feel our sin and our disobedience, instead of running to the Lord, we seek to turn our backs from Him. I want you this evening not to cut yourself off from the truths of the Lord. I want you to hear them as being true for you and see that in the example of Jonah, just as his cries were heard, think about Jonah. Jonah willfully sought to flee from the presence of the Lord, but when he was in his self-afflicted despair and affliction, the Lord still heard his cries. So if you will cry out to the Lord, he too will hear your cries. I just want to think, it comes to mind, the song, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Remember the character of God. He is gracious and merciful. He delights in pouring out mercy on rebel sinners. He delights in restoring rebels in the children of God through his son, Christ. That's why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. The Lord delights in giving gracious salvation to all who will come to him. So, looking at verses four, 3 and 4 to see our second truth about the Lord. Follow along as I read. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The second truth we see about the Lord is, he is the God who is sovereign over everything, even our afflictions. The Lord is sovereign over 
everything, even our afflictions. The Lord is in control of everything. Nothing happens in the world without reason and purpose behind it. Why? Because the Lord is sovereign. He is in control. As Sproul says, there's no maverick molecule in the universe. The Lord is absolutely in control of everything. And we see that working out in verse 3 with Jonah's affliction. We see that Jonah says, for you, saying to the Lord, for you cast me into the deep. And then he says, all your waves, the waves of the Lord and your billows passed over me. We see that the Lord is sovereign over Jonah's affliction. And we can therefore conclude that there's purpose and reason behind it because the Lord is sovereign and in control of it. And we see that purpose in verse 4. The purpose of Jonah's affliction is to bring him to repentance. He would have him turn from his waywardness and trust in the Lord again. That's what I believe that's, uh, that saying, I shall again look upon your holy temple means. I don't believe Jonah is in the belly of the fish trying to place himself towards the temple. I believe that we see here um, the heart disposition that Jonah, who was once seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord, is now seeking to turn and go to where the Lord is. So in the Old Testament, the Lord dwelt among the temple. That's where his presence was. So this um, idea of I shall again look upon your holy temple is Jonah turning back and going to the Lord instead of running from the Lord. Again, to quote John Newton, maybe a helpful analogy to work this out. Think about a mother and a child, and the child is learning to walk, and the mother is holding the child's hand, and the child starts to take a couple of steps, and it gets its confidence up, but then the child pulls from the mother's hands, wanting to be released. So the mother allows the child to let, allows to let go of the child's hand, and the child falls and then cries out to the Lord because he fell. And so what the mother was doing was showing the child her, his, their dependency upon the mother's help. And, and Newton goes on to talk about the environment. So we see even more of the character of the mother. He says that the mother would never allow the child to fall or let go of the child's hands if it was in a rocky area or a hard surface because it would be fatal to the child. But if it was in a grassy area, a sandy area, she allows the child to fall, not out of maliciousness or anger, but out of love so the child would come closer and see his more dependency upon her. And that is what the Lord is doing through Jonah's affliction. Or maybe if that isn't helpful, think of Psalm 119, verse 71, where it says, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. The Lord was sovereign over Jonah's affliction to teach him his ways, to draw him closer. So, okay, how does this truth that the Lord is sovereign over everything, even our afflictions, give us hope in the midst of our despair and affliction? Well, it informs us that our afflictions are never meaningless 
um, or our despairs ever pointless, but rather they always have purpose and reason behind them and ultimately work together for our good as Romans 8.28 says. So I believe that the truth that the Lord is sovereign over everything, even our affliction, gives us hope because it informs us our afflictions are never meaningless or despair ever pointless, but rather they always have purpose and reason behind them and ultimately work together for our good, as Romans 8, 28 says. That's a hard truth to take, so sometimes it's helpful to say what I'm not saying to kind of clarify, what I'm not saying is that all affliction is because our sin, because of our sin or waywardness. Think about Job. Job was a man who was blameless and upright in the Lord's sight. What I'm also not saying is that we will know the purpose and reason behind all our all of our afflictions this side of glory, or even understand how they could be for our good. Again, think about Jonah. Jonah doesn't have. Jonah chapter 1, when we see the conversation between the Lord and Satan and how um, he knows that the Lord is over his affliction, all he sees is the hardship and affliction. And so just like Jonah, when we can't see the purpose and reason and good behind our affliction and despair, we have to turn in faith and rely in the Lord, trusting and knowing that he is a holy and just God and does all things for his glory and is not the author of sin, but rather does all things for the good of his children, even our affliction and prosperity are for our good because they are from our good heavenly Father. Now turning to the third truth we see about the Lord comes in verses five and six. Follow along as I read. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. The third truth we see about the Lord is he is the God who brings about our deliverance even when we feel all hope is lost. He is the God who brings about our deliverance even when we feel all hope is lost. In these verses, we are to see and feel darkness. We are to see and feel our despair and hopelessness from the words of Jonah. Look at them with me, if you will. He says, the waters close in over me. The weeds are wrapped around his head, pulling him further and further downwards until he hits rock bottom and the bars close over him forever. Hopelessness, darkness. But then we see light rescue, hope. We see the Lord metaphorically dive into the sea and down to the bottom and tear off the bonds of Jonah and lift him up out of his, out of his pit and to deliverance. That's what we see when he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Both Jonah's affliction and deliverance were dependent upon the Lord. So, how does this truth that God brings about deliverance give us hope in the midst of our affliction and despair? 
I believe it gives us hope because it tells us that we are not left to our own strength to save ourselves or bring ourselves out of the pit of affliction and despair, but we are rather to call on the Lord and rely on him, to wait on him, to rely on his strength. Think, of, think about Ephesians 6 and 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Or think of the words of the Lord, of the Lord to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. What a glorious truth. When we fear our weakness, the Lord's grace is sufficient for us. It is made perfect. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Glorious. And I think this imagery of Job at the bottom of the ocean is a good picture of what the gospel proclaims to us. In the gospel, we hear that we are dead in sins and trespasses, unable to save ourselves but for God. God who delivers us by making us alive in Christ. And in that deliverance in Christ Jesus, he provides everything we need for salvation. He provides the forgiveness of sins which has made the wrath of God be upon us. He provides the forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross that we are forgiven, and he also provides true righteousness that we may be counted as righteous and come into our holy God's presence through Christ Jesus' perfect obedience unto the law. So that's why we proclaim we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, because we were helpless dead sinners lying at the bottom of the ocean with no hope until the Lord moved towards us and he brought about our salvation. He delivered us from our sinfulness and rebelliousness, and then placed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son through his sovereign power. Beautiful. That's the gospel. If you're here tonight and you've never heard the gospel, the gospel is that Christ came into the world to save sinners, not through anything that you can do, but what he has done, and he just calls you to come to him. Think of those words in John's gospel. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Will you come and receive the glorious adoption into the family of God? Moving on then to our fourth truth we see about the Lord in verses 7 and 8. Follow along as I read. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The fourth truth we see about the Lord is he is the God whose love is steadfast. He is the God whose love is steadfast. In verses 7, Jonah says that he remembers. I wonder if you read that and you're thinking, well, what does he remember about the Lord? He says so much. I don't believe that it's anything new, but I believe that Jonah in his affliction and despair is calling, recalling to his mind the truths about God's character that he knew so well. 
Think about chapter 4 and 2 again, where he is basically quoting from Exodus 34 and 6, where the Lord shows Moses his glory by saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then in verse 8, he goes on to compare the living and true God, Yahweh, with feign idols by saying, those who pay regard to feign idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He is saying that those who trust in idols are without hope. For as Jeremiah chapter 10 says about feign idols, that they were taken from the forest and made by the axe of a craftsman. They cannot speak and have to be carried, for they cannot walk. And we are not to be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, or neither is it in them to to do good. They are worthless. They offer no hope in the midst of affliction and despair. But compared to our God, see all the hope that he offers in the truths that we've been talking about this evening. Our God hears our cries in affliction. Our God is sovereign over our affliction. Our God brings about deliverance in our affliction. Our God's love is steadfast in affliction. But But to put a finer point on the hope we get from this truth, that God's love is steadfast, is that it means that God's love towards us does not change, even though our experience of his love may vary. To kind of illustrate what I mean by um, our experience of his love varying, I'm not saying that his love varies because his love is steadfast, but think about two a winter day and a summer's day. In the summer's day, you see blue, clear skies and you feel the sun and its warmth upon your skin. But in the winter's cloudy, overcast day, you have clouds blocking the sun and you don't feel necessarily the heat upon your skin. But you'd be crazy to think that the sun still wasn't there. And that's what we can feel like when we have clouds of affliction and despair in our life. Because we don't feel necessary the love of God, we may conclude that the Lord doesn't love us. But the Lord has revealed to us that his love doesn't vary. God doesn't vary. His love is steadfast towards those who fear him. If you're a Christian this evening and you're trusting in the Lord, know that you can do nothing to separate you from the love of Christ because it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Glorious. (laughs) That's glorious. So it is glorious. So verse four, no, no, verse four. Um, Concluding in verse nine, I want us to finally see three ways to respond to God's truth about himself. Firstly, I want us to see that a right response to who God is is thanksgiving. Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. We should thank the Lord for who he is, not only for what he does for us, but just thank him for who he is. Just dwell on the character of the Lord. There is none like him. 
I challenge you, search all the religions, the man-made religions in the world, and none of them will come up close to the one and true living God and how he reveals himself in, the war, in his words. Thirdly, we are to worship him. That's what I think um, Jonah is getting at when he says, what I have found, I will pay. This is not a doing in a sense to earn God's favor, but this is a, this is a doing flowing out of his gratitude toward, uh, towards the Lord's love to him. So Jonah is doing this act out of gratitude and to worship his gods. So we likewise should worship God when we see these truths. Thirdly and finally, we are to respond in faith. We are to say, like Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. We are to hear these truths and then by the hands, the arms, the body of faith, this cling to the Lord, for he is our refuge, our mighty fortress, our everlasting rock in which we trust. Amen. Let me pray to finish. Heavenly Father, there is none like you. You are glorious, beautiful, deserving of all worship. And you are so far above us, but yet you condescend it towards us in the person and work of Christ, that we may be reconciled to you, that we may know you through your word and through your Son. We thank you that through the Spirit we have been born again and we have been brought into your family and we can see you for who you are, Lord, and we long to be liberated from these sinful bodies and this sinful world and to dwell with you in eternity where there will be no more tears, no more affliction, no more despair, but just glorious communion with you. Amen. And we are now going to turn to sing.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.